Hello everybody and welcome back to Chirping with ABA Owls. Um, we're really glad that you chose to listen to us again. Um, just a disclaimer before we start, these are our thoughts and experiences. We say this every week, so it's hard to make it sound exciting. Um, but we're not claiming to know everything. We're just only speaking on our experience and what has worked for us and hasn't worked. So, yeah. Is there anything you want to mention from the last podcast, Carla? Well, it's something I've spoken about before oh hi everyone sorry it's something i've mentioned before but i'll say it again my accent i'm really sorry every time i listen back when we're doing editing and i'm just i just swallow i swallow consonants i miss say vowels and i'm really really sorry if my accent sometimes makes it hard for people to understand what i'm saying um but i'm trying really hard <laughs> to to speak properly it's but it's okay. very hard I, I think your accent's <laughs> certainly nicer than the south african accent which is obviously very flat so we our vowels all sound the same so oh, i don't love your accent what do you want oh, about oh yeah it's a bit anyway and i've realized now that i don't when i don't live in england anymore I sound more South African, which is fine, because <laughs> I am South African. Um, but yeah, it is definitely more there. And I find when I'm with South African people that it comes out. Obviously, you're the same thing with you. I'm sure when you spend more time with Portuguese people, you hear more of that like native, innate yeah. sort of accent comes back. So yeah, and I speak really fast. I listen sometimes, and I'm like, wow, I'm just like running with speaking. So I'm sorry my dad says it's really hard to listen to podcasts because, one, because he finds it technical. I'm like, really? When, okay. But the second reason is because we speak really fast and it's just like, it's like you're running a marathon. I can't keep up. Like, remember when, yeah. you went, when you went to visit and we had to speak a bit slower because my, my parents Shame. didn't understand English. They're fine with English. It's just the speed they're not used to. Yeah, the English um, is amazing. Yeah, um, no, yeah. They're really good. And then I think when I try to speak slowly, that I'm speaking super slowly, like in an offensive manner. So then I'm like, Lauren, just be normal. Just try it. Yeah, I just, I get really paranoid that I'm now a conscious that I'm trying to speak slowly. So they think that, oh yeah, it's just, my head it runs too quickly. Um, but yeah, I will make a concerted effort to speak slower and more, you know, have a better pace. Um, but then it won't be us. Exactly, yeah. And I get excited. You know, I know I do. Anyway, and before we get started, we just want to say thank you to everyone who attended our online workshop. And we hope it was really enjoyable and helpful. You know, we, we really try our best to have practical things that people can talk about and things that we feel are relevant to every individual that attends. We have another workshop, an online one, on the 23rd of February, and our topic is alternative behaviors, and the 23rd of March. So we're doing um, another function of behavior, so that's tangibles or access to items and activities. Um, and they will last for an hour and a half and will cost £25 per person. And of course, we supply all the learning resources and including, as I mentioned, practical exercises. And it'll be online. Um, so you can join us from anywhere else, anywhere you are in the world. Please come and join us. We'd really love to share more experiences with everybody. And just email us for more details. That's aba.owls.uk at gmail.com. Right. And now for our topic of the day, which is the reason why you come. ABA programs, consultants and supervisors. Bum, bum, bum. So why we chose the topic? As we mentioned in our last episode, we are going to jump into the world of ABA programs. So jump with us. <laughs> and we will be covering each area in detail. So we did a short summary of what ABA programs are. 
last episode and where they can be taught, who's involved, etc. And for this episode, we will be looking at the people responsible for creating ABA programs and procedures, how to find the right consultant, the financial costs, and even to give you some more information regarding becoming a consultant, if that's something you're interested in pursuing. So, Lauren, should you do the what? Do you want to start or should yeah, I? Yeah, it's fine. What do you, I, we can, I, I can start and we can just chat backwards and forwards because... Um, Oh, yeah, yeah, I think that's better. Um, so we're going to break them down into our usual categories. You know, we have our what and our why and our who and when and how, etc. And, of course, as we mentioned last time, we're going to spend a little bit of time on ethics as we feel it's important for that to always be included in everything. Um, but in terms of what, so what is your consultant? What is a BCBA or a BCABA and a supervisor and why it's important to know about those things? So the meaning of the names and apologies in ABA, we love our ABCs. So there's lots of ABCs in different <laughs> different categories and different um, order. And it took me as an ABA professional a really long time to get my head around all the ABCs, the BCBs and whatever. So we have a lot of that yeah. and apologies. Um, it also goes along with ABA. It's hysterical, I think. I don't know why, but it's it's great, but also massively confusing. So the meaning of the names. Okay, so we have a BCBA. Um, let's start with doctorate. So we have a BCBA-D. Okay, so that's your doctorate level. So they're a board certified behavior analyst, but they also have a doctorate. So they've done a PhD in ABA. Um, so they are the highest rank um, in terms of qualifications. Then we have our BCBAs. So that's just your board certified behavior analyst. Okay, so that's someone who's written a big exam. Um and is, yeah, it takes, it's a long road. And maybe Carla will also want to talk about it because she's kind of in, on the journey. Um, and then we also have your board certified assistant behavior analyst, which is probably the lowest of those three. Um, and that person has written an exam, but it's not as big as the BCBA exam. And it requires less supervision hours. So if you are looking to do something like this, the BCABA is the first step you can do. Some people, like myself and Carla, are skip, we skip that level. So we just did all the supervision hours to write the board's certified behavior analyst exam. Um, and you can, do, you can do the other one because then you still get a qualification halfway through your supervision or I think it's three quarters of the way through your supervision hours. Some people do that. I think one of our colleagues or our supervisor, she was mine and she is now Carla's, she did it that way around. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, did, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's expensive. So if someone is funding you like an organization or whatever, I would do it that way around. But at the time I was funding myself. So I just went for the, the whole hog. Um yeah, me too. Exactly. So I don't know if you wanted to add anything there, Carla. It's a bit dry to talk about, but it is it is what it no, is. Well, it's fine. It's it is important. Like Lauren mentioned all the different, you know, um positions in within the BCBA qualification. A BCABA, so the assistant board certified the board certified assistant behavior analyst, which is let's say the lowest ranking of the three that Lauren mentioned still need supervision, okay? And if they want to become a full BCBA, they still need to sit the exam. And you can do the full exam straight away, but you need more supervision hours. But then we also need to talk about the position that is a supervisor, and that's not a position that's in the BCBA boards officially. So a supervisor is 
someone who is able to do all the things that a BCBA or assistant BCBA does under the direct supervision or some of someone who's certified. Okay, so and in lots of programs it, that does happen where that position comes up when a BCBA doesn't have time, the the full time to be there for the client, so they delegate some work to a supervisor. But to be clear, supervisor is not an official position within the BCB, BACB, so the the board analyst certificate. What? The Behavior Analysis Certification yes, Board. I think that's it. Sorry, I suddenly stopped. I was like, I don't know, my brain had a brain fart. I was like, I think that's what she... What she <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's really important for you guys to know there are difference. One thing, the BCBA, the BCABA, and the BC, BCBAD have an official qualification and a supervisor doesn't have an official qualification so they will probably be working towards that qualification so it's really important to distinguish those those levels so you know you know what each what each name means um and for example like you know Lauren has been in all these positions I'm still finishing mine but Lauren can you tell us about um a difference between a consultant and a supervisor yeah I think you know a supervisor would be someone who's on that path so they might have a master's or be pursuing a master's in ABA or they might just have loads of experience um, working as an ABA tutor like an, a sort of an experienced tutor um, those are those are kind of the things when I was a supervisor um, in school like in an organization and when I was a supervisor also on home programs I was still pursuing a master's in ABA so I was kind of on the path but I did also work alongside people who weren't pursuing that, but did have a lot of experience. So they didn't necessarily have the degree, but they might have been working in the field for 10, 10 years or so. Um, so sometimes you have people who don't get the qualifications, but still have the experience. And sometimes you're lucky enough to get people who have a lot of experience and who are also pursuing that. Um, I would say that a supervisor is someone who has a lot of experience, um, um, irrespective of qualification. but would be ultimately pursuing that, like some kind of qualification, or would be, you know, working closely under a BCBA or a BCABA um, or a doctor. I was fortunate enough to have supervision from three different um, supervisors in terms of when I was working towards my BCBA, um, and one of them was a doctor. And I have to say that a lot of her, the things that she had to offer was actually different from the other two ladies. Um, because she had a lot of experience in the field. So yeah, I would say that experiences is really, really important. And also experiences in different settings. Um, but also we can talk about that later. But yeah, if you've only worked in one organization and that's the only experience you have, it, you might not be the best person always to help people that aren't in that organization because you don't really have perspective of other environments. And I think we learned that also when we left, isn't it? We left a organization yeah. where we got... A yeah, lot definitely. of knowledge and a lot of experience. And then we moved into different fields, still in the same um, working environment, kind of, but different settings. And I think we learned a lot of hard lessons really quickly. Um, so, yeah, I think varied experience is always really good. I'm sorry if that doesn't answer that, Carla. I was just now talking. I hope it does. Um, so, uh, and just to be clear, when we say consultant, consultant is another way of us saying someone with an official certification in 
to practice, um, to plan behavior programs. So consultant would be a BCBA, a BCAB, a BCBID, and a supervisor is someone like Lauren just explained. So just so you know, if you hear the word consultant, we use it uh, sometimes to replace the term BCBA or certified person because not everyone understands all yeah, the... Yeah, the ABCs and the BAB. What did we say? An yeah. acronym? No, the no acronym. acronym. Oh my days, I already forgot right, them again. Acronym? Maybe. Yeah. Okay, I'm just going to go bypass it. <laughs> I already forgotten. Yeah. I don't care. Sorry, the guys. Letters. We, we love the letters of ABC in various forms. No. Um, in various different, yeah. Yeah, and Lauren did mention a bit about the kind of hierarchy of command, you know, supervisor working under a BCBA and the BCABA working under a BCBA. So she did, she did mention a little bit about the what we call the hierarchy of command. It, it is really important to have established whose role is what and who is ultimately responsible for certain things. Um, and she met Lawrence well mentioned the training and experience that goes into that and and is also the ethics because as we you know go through our masters or the more experience we collect the more we are aware of the ethical aspects behind all the planning that we do and what happens sometimes and we're not saying it's for everyone this is just things we've come across uh where people who have been tutors but they've never progressed they never pursued further training in lots of fields so they call themselves supervisors but they didn't have an awareness of all the right procedures to do because they didn't they didn't pursue any training in their field so they said oh I've been a tutor for eight years so I'm a supervisor I have enough experience however they would there would be gaps in their knowledge. So we're not saying it's everyone. Like There's lots of tutors that pursue training and reading and knowledge-seeking stuff, etc. And they're actually quite qualified. But we have come across occasions where someone who didn't improve themselves through learning but called themselves a supervisor and they shouldn't be calling themselves a supervisor. Uh, so it's it's a tricky area, the supervisor post. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, Lauren and I do this. So, for example, assessments, which is in the ethics code in the section three. So we always have to do assessments before we implement any behavioral program. And both Lauren and I have come across programs where the previous person that was in charge didn't run any assessments. And that is a concern for us. In our exactly, and also just to, just to add on to that, haven't run any assessments and have still implemented the um, various interventions. So there's no there's no starting yeah. point. Yeah. It's just like, oh, I think they need to learn this, mm. and so I just started teaching them that, which is fine. But actually, if you want to um, show that you your intervention is successful or improving someone's situation or life, you need to have evidence yeah. of where they were. Because otherwise, it's just you just yeah, start. Exactly. It's like drawing a circle and just starting in the like in the middle of something, or drawing a square and just going, oh, okay, we're just going to start here. And it's like, well, we need to know where everything else fits first, because otherwise, we don't know what we've taught you. No, and there's no point. Why? Why would you put something in? Because the person might know it. Yeah. So you're just wasting their time. So it's it's one of the key things 
that you learn when you're becoming a BCBA, or even when you're, tra you don't even have to become a BCBA. You know what? You can, if you know enough people who who can give you literature to read and advice you want to read, you'll learn through reading exp and, and experience and practicing. Um, but yeah, it's really important to to know the components. We well, we've mentioned this. We recommend any new clients of ours to read ethics, the ethics code we have. Um, because it's it's important not just for the BCBA but for the parents, the client, the people involved. It's important to be aware of what's expected from each end. Yeah, and know that we also have to adhere to that. So we 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 didn't write the ethics code. We just we when we sign up to become a board certified behavior analyst or BCBA or a BCABA or what or whatever we are signing up that we've signed over that we believe and we will follow these ethics codes. So we are held accountable. If these if these things are broken, that's us, and so yeah, so we it is very important because they've been written for a reason. And fun fact, um, even though we get a lot of heat from maybe areas in psychology, sometimes not everyone, but some people, uh, the ethics code, the BCBA, uh, the BACBA ethics code is actually based on the American Psychology Ethics Code, so it's not just as, like there's actual proper guidelines from a field that had more experience within ethics because when in our field experience is everything and even when we're setting targets and procedures it is unethical to work on which in which something you don't have any experience yeah. so our ethics code is based on a code that was already existing because you know we said you know what let's look at the fields that know more about this and Laura and I work mostly with autism, even though we've had experience in a, a bit of other areas. But if I wanted to go into organizational behavior management, like we mentioned before, I would have to get training on it. I'd have to find someone, a supervisor, a BCBA, to supervise me to that has had practice in that. I'd have to read lots of materials. You know, you can't make changes in an area you know nothing about. That's just unethical yeah. for us. So, yeah, even with reviewing data and all this stuff. Exactly. So, we, oh, yeah, as Carla mentioned, a lot of our experience comes from autism and learning difficulties or communication difficulties. So that's where our speciality lies. But obviously we've spoken before, especially in our, I think, our roundup, like um, ABA end of the year one, um, is that we would love to go into other fields, but there's not a lot, there's not a lot of, options for us because we can't get paid to work in other fields if we don't have experience in those fields um, and we need to find the right people to train us or volunteer or something so that we get experience in those fields so we can feel more confident giving advice and putting in interventions or programs so yeah it's I mean it's amazing I, I always want to do other things I'm like come on it'd be so great but yeah. you know it's like I would love to get involved with mental health things but I have to have experience that and it's it's very it's big things for vulnerable people big things that you can get involved yeah. in so it needs to be cautiously done and done right um so yeah I agree and BCBAs and cons aka consultants and supervisors do have a lot of responsibility within the program so they they do the target they do the assessments the targets and procedures they review the data they alter the procedures or the interventions depending on how the data is 
coming, so if it's improving, not improving. They train staff, they train carers, parents, other professionals. So it's a lot of responsibility, and that ties into the why do we need a certified or a supervised person. So if you mm -hmm. have someone who comes to you and says, I'll supervise the program, great, what are your qualifications? Oh, I'm, I'm a supervisor. Okay, who supervises you? Ask questions. It's really important to have the right a, cert, a right person, a certified or supervised person reviewing and doing your program. And, you know, we can go into other fields where this happens. For example, education or doctors, lawyers, police officers, all they all receive training. So it's important to have an ABA person with you, like a consultant or supervisor that also receives training or has received training. Because it, it yeah. is, yeah, isn't it? And, and it, like Lauren said, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. And I think also, you know, um, these, because ABA has grown, and I know in the UK, because I was part of that journey, I remember when we started off as a school, I mean, there were, uh, the school I worked for, Carla also subsequently worked for the same school later on. But, you know, we were, se there were 17 children. Okay. So it was tiny. Um, and now, I don't know, there's over 80 or so. Um, so it has grown exponentially. So ABA has become more in demand. So I, as, and I think we've spoken about this before, there's too much work for the people in the field. So that families and people who hear about these stories or know about other people who've experienced their, you know, their young person's making loads of progress, people are desperate for intervention. So when they meet someone who says, oh, no, I've experienced an ABA and I know how to, da, 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 then people latch on to that. And I, I'm not saying, I don't, I'm not laying blame on either party here. I'm just saying that there is a lot of demand. So people are desperate and they will take what they can get. And that is also quite worrying because, of course, Colin, I would love to help as many people as possible. But we know that it's, that's not, not, we're not able to do that. We just have to slowly grow. And um, there is this massive development, especially in the United Kingdom, in terms of ABA. I mean, I knew, I remember when no one had heard what we, no one knew what we were doing. Then it was, we don't like what you do. Then it was, now it's being written into people's plans and, you know, educational healthcare plans. And it's being demanded across the country. So it is growing and it has grown. So there is, you know, that that's that another part of it, hey, Carla, that people yeah. are desperate. So when they... Yeah. When they find out that someone's got some experience, they'll take whatever. And, yeah. you know, that just needs to be cautiously done because you would, I would rather have someone who I know I can trust who is being overseen or has the experience to do this independently of another person in terms of qualifications, in terms of being board certified, then have someone start and then I have to undo a lot of the stuff because we're just starting in the middle. It's like we're starting knitting in the middle of a blanket. It's like we need to start at the edge yeah. and, you know, slowly work down the rows and be methodical about it. It needs, yeah, it needs to be specialized because it interferes with people's lives. It actively intervenes, intervenes in your life. So, and this is, well, so we've been talking about the why. So why, why should you have a certified person involved in the program? Like we said, because of our education, because we've been trained because it interferes with people's lives. And the person who gathers all of this information also makes the decisions. Mm. And usually that's a consultant or a supervisor. So it's important to have a person who understands what they're doing, yeah. who, who can show that they can do. And question 
Mm. Question the person. Question what are your qualifications? Can you show me other pro programs you've been involved in? Isn't it? Yeah. And you, can I just say that someone who is now a BCBA, there's a lot of pressure to get things right. And sometimes you have to make hard decisions that not everybody likes um, because you believe that the person at the center of the intervention is the most important person. Okay. And that's my, my um, belief that I'm going to do the best I can for the young person or the person at the center of it. Um, and sometimes that makes you unpopular because you're not worrying about everyone else's agenda. You're worrying about this young person. And it's a lot of it's a lot of pressure. And when things go wrong, it's also you who's held accountable. Or when things go right, you know, people are also going to be like, okay, so what did you do there? And, yeah, it just – the there is a lot. And sometimes we even, like, as a board-certified person, I'll have my other board-certified people ask me my opinion because we don't work – as an island you know we're working as a community and sometimes we need advice from each other and you know Carla yeah. asked me advice I asked Carla advice we ask each other because we need each other um and you know the more we work together as a community the better we will be but also there is a lot of it's a lot of pressure I have to say it, it it's it's a lot because someone will turn to you and go what should we do about this and you're like immediately like I, I don't know I need to look at the data. I need to look at all the evidence. I need to speak to everybody. Yeah. I need to interview someone. I need to get hold of this person. I need to consider all these thousands of factors before I even... Before making it... Exactly. Yeah. And it takes a lot of time it and can't just be. It can't just be spurred of the moment. And I think because the more experience you gain, the better you get at it. But I think people think, it's like, okay, decide now. It's like, no, 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 no. No. I, I Like Lauren said... Uh, you need you need the time to look at everything. That's why sometimes we've had clients that say, what should we do about this? And we say, well, I need to look at the data. I need to see what the behavior is. Mm. We can't just recommend for the sake of recommending. We need to properly think mm. about it. Yeah. And it, it is just a lot. I um I remember once I was training, um I was line managing a person. And I was in an organization at the time, but this person was new to the position and I had previously um, done that position for quite a long time. So I was, you know, I was sort of training this person to do this, the position I'd done previously. And, um, you know, I remember also saying like one of the t targets we were teaching to um, a young person, we would, and it wasn't working, the kid wasn't making any progress. And we, so I sat down and I was like, okay, so these are the kinds of things we need to consider. We need to consider, is the target appropriate? It, it, are there enough trials being run of this target? Is it the, the resources that are, is it the person that's teaching it that's not teaching it effectively or enough? You know, are there going to be enough trials? Are we doing this in multiple settings so that it's sinking in, that it's not just one thing we learn at the table, but we're also learning in the playground, we're also learning it in the classroom, etc.? And I also remember thinking, and we need to look at this, this, this. And I remember her staring at me blankly and being like, you know, when I was a tutor, I didn't even think about half of these things. I didn't know that there was this much that we had to go through just to check if, while the child wasn't yeah. learning. And that also comes from experience because she'd been working at the school for quite a long time. She had a lot of experience, but she just didn't, when you have to look at it, not when you're teaching it, but when you're implementing it, you know, when you're looking above and you're going, okay. I'm looking at every single variable, you know, it's, it is, it's a yeah. lot more. So yeah, that's just something as a, you know, side note thing. 
All right, this takes us into the who should you hire. We've been talking a lot about BCBAs, BCABAs, supervisors, consultants, etc. Who should you hire? It will vary a lot on your on the current you know, on your program, what you want to do. Usually, it's a consultant, aka a BCBA that's hired. BCABAs are also quite competent to be hired, but take into account that if you hire someone who identifies as a BCBA, BCABA or a supervisor, those people will probably need to be supervised by someone, which is fine. Supervision is just they have someone higher qualified that says, okay, what procedure should you use? Okay, maybe you should try this and that. Like They just make sure the person is doing something everything correctly, um, they won't be sharing personal information or anything, um, but you need to, to keep that in mind. So it will depend, it will depend a lot on the pro type of program you want, it will depend on if you're comfortable with the person being sup supervised, because that's what happens. If you have someone who doesn't have the official qualification, more it's more like it's likely they're being supervised but that doesn't mean they're not good at their jobs i know lots of people and i'm going to include myself as well who were working as supervisors until we got our qualification and i got my work checked again no personal details are revealed but for example i would say oh the child displayed this behavior so i use this procedure and my uh, consultant would say okay give me more details let's talk about it and so she would check if it was appropriate. So when you're deciding what kind of person you should hire, again, any of these three positions are okay, but you just need to make sure of their qualifications and of their if they need supervision and who's supervising them or if of they're being supervised properly. Because if you have someone who says, oh, I've been a tutor for nine years and I'm a supervisor now. Okay. And who's supervising you because if you're a supervisor you know you don't have the you don't have a qualification it's it's really important to ask these questions and i know probably we'll get in a bit of hot water with some people in our area where in our field where they're saying maybe you shouldn't be saying those things but to be honest in every job you need to be overseen by someone in every job you are deemed accountable for your actions Therefore, I think it's perfectly natural that if you present yourself as a supervisor to parents, you should be ready to tell them who supervises you. Because if you're calling yourself a supervisor, it means you're not a consultant. And if you're not a consultant, you don't have an official certification. So if you don't have an official certification, how do they know you can do your job? So... That's my. Do you agree, Lauren? On the yeah, on the absolutely. You know, it's 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 not nice, and it sounds a bit boring, like we're being all you know. But I think it is important, especially considering how much I knew when I was a supervisor, considering and how much I know more I know now. I think yeah, it's that I can speak from that also because I I feel that I have a lot more experience. Um, and I needed more supervision, even though I had worked in the field for a very long time, because my supervisor would be like, who's a BCBA, would be like, oh, well, have you considered this? And I was like, no. And then I should be able to do yeah. that, you know. And, um, yeah, I just think it's really, really important. Um, 
Oh, talking about who, let's talk about like when, you know, how how often should a consultant or supervisor visit or observe the program or, you know, conduct assessments, etc. So I think it depends, you know, whether you're having a team meeting or workshop, we'll, we'll talk about that a bit later, but it depends on the need of the client or the, the family or the team around the child, should we say, you know, how much training is required? Is it a new team? Is it a um, a team that's well-established? Is it a team that's been working together for a long time? You know, I think, is the is it the program set up or is it being set up? You know, do, do they need, does an assessment need to be done? So it depends on that, you know. I think um, if it's a well-established program, you know, once a month is fine. Once every two months would be fine if your team is well-trained and communicate very effectively with your consultant slash BCBA. Um, but also sometimes teams are more in need if the child is more in need. So there needs to be quicker, um, more some some more frequent supervision, should I say. Um, so, yeah. Or if it's the parents running it instead of the tutors. If it's a parent who's new to ABA, isn't it? You'd need to be more present. Exactly. Was, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and freely available, you know, and that's also yeah. kind of where we talk about supervisors are so that in between, if a, if a board-certified behavior analyst isn't available, BCPA, but then again, they're still being overseen, so they would still touch base quite frequently with their consultant, BCBA. Um, and I think the difference between um, team meetings and workshops is team meetings... Yeah. <laughs> Carl and I talk about this a lot. <laughs> Sorry, because Laura and I, we used to have a debate on this. Yeah, because I'm just like, we just call it a team meeting, even if it is a workshop. But so I, it's the difference I see, and Carla will probably correct me, um, is that a team meeting is kind of catching up on stuff that's already being implemented. So we have yeah. goals, we have targets that we've set up. This is the progress. This is the stuff we're concerned about. Whereas a workshop's more of a training th um, session. So people are learning yeah. how to implement a new skill, or you've decided as the consultant that they need to implement this kind of um, procedure, and yeah. you're going to train that person not so Carla I don't know that's how I see them it's different I, I agree I, I agree I think the workshop involves more practical stuff I just when I became freelancer I just had lots of people calling it a workshop um, so for me they were all workshops and then Lauren's like oh we call it team meeting and for us yes there is a difference there, the team meeting like Lauren said the catching up workshop imagine you you want to implement a new program but you need to probe how the child will will react to it um, so that that practical bit, I think that's what turns a team meeting into a workshop. And sometimes you don't need one or the other. Like I know lots of people like face to face every time we need to be there and do stuff with the child. But sometimes you just need a catching up, and some and those can be faster. Mm. I've had clients where um, recently, because of COVID, where we've done online meetings. Uh, because the girl, the tutors, I trust them, they're trained, they can probe things correctly and they can film things for me with parents' permission, obviously. Uh, so I can say, look, I want to implement this program, this is a procedure, I have an online meeting with them and we practice the procedure. And then when they are with the child, they then, then they probe it and they report back to me. And that, in terms of time, uses the time more efficiently uh, it's cost less for the parents because it's less time they're paying for and it still provides all the information we need. So it's those are the main differences. Workshops do require more time because if you're dealing with a child, you need to reinforce, you need to pair, you need to get instructional control. 
and there's a lot more variables that m might make them longer but sometimes they're necessary again it depends on each individual situation we can't give exact parameters we take it case by case um and like lauren said how much training is required is it a pair if it's parents maybe you need a workshop because you need to train them yeah you know? I think also it's important to talk about online meetings because of the state of the world and the fact that um, a lot of things are happening more by distance. And, of course, there's advantages and limitations. You know, advantages is that nobody needs to really travel, which saves a lot of time, especially if you – and I know Colin and I will talk about we've lived in London. And if you don't have to travel yeah. in London around, it saves your life and costs, obviously. Um I think people are saving more on petrol than they've ever saved or on travel costs uh, that they've ever saved in their <laughs> lives. Um, and I think also there's limitations. Like obviously if you're doing training over over a screen, it can be more difficult because you can't actually show someone always because you don't have – like if I'm doing training and I have a parent with yeah. a child or whatever, I can't have a child too or another person to act with me. So, you know, the role-playing is a, can be a bit tricky. But yeah. I do think that – we need to, we need to practice and be better at doing things online, and I do think it has a lot of merit, and I think it can change a lot. Um, and you know, we we're involved with some online training, Colin and myself, and um, with her family, and we've seen a lot of improvement just with us, you know, doing online stuff. And I do think it is yeah. it's possible. I just think we have to practice getting better at it. Um, some things will always be tricky, but actually, the more we practice, we will become more fluent. The better yeah. things will be. So I think don't I don't think it's good to just go. Well, that won't work when we haven't tried it. Um, yeah. So yeah. Well, in in Portugal, that was a the mentality. There's like a Portuguese comedian, um, which me and my husband really like. Who my husband and I really like and. He was saying that before COVID, every time he tried to set up online meetings, this is a very, sorry, sorry if I'm insulting Portuguese, but this is a very Portuguese thing to do, which is going like, oh, that doesn't work without trying. There's a lot of this in our culture. And you know what? You can fight me on this if you want, because I'm sorry. This is what I observe. This is based on my observations. There's a lot of, we haven't tried, but we don't think it works. So we're not going to try. And then after COVID, lots of stuff were online. And he was like, well, I've been saying this for years. And why did they make me drive all the way to God knows where? Yeah. Just, it's a waste of time. And you get annoyed when you're in traffic. I did my entire master's. Yeah. Except for exams. Yeah. Everything. Online. And I can tell you, master's is harder than undergrad. People that haven't yeah. done it yet. And just just for the sheer volume of the stuff that is required of you and the fact that you're not being spoon-fed. Um, not that all undergrads are spoon-fed, but it is the, you are you are your, working on your own schedule. So if you're not doing this stuff, nothing's happening. Um, so it is possible, you know, and I think it's something that the world and, – and I know for a fact that the people that have training in here in South Africa with ABA have done everything by distance because they aren't local yeah. people doing it. So it is possible because things have been set up, their schools, their centers – with people's training people via distance um, and, and considering time zone difference, you know. And we're not removing the importance of the one-to-one -one training because it is important to have one. It's Sometimes it's vital to have one-to-one -one, and especially mm. in other professions like being a doctor, you can't just do everything online. But what we're, say, what we're yeah, saying exactly. is there are some occasions 
that things could be done more often than not online that will save everyone some time will be more convenient and then you when you do meet face to face you can focus on the essential things so hypothetically speaking imagine that you go to a client's house and you want to do a, you want to assess their skills good but then if you spend the whole time assessing like checking stuff in a book but not interacting with a child was there any point in going there to spend time with a child if you're not actually going to work with a child you're just going to look at the paper and talk to the tutors so you don't need to consider yeah. this like was it worth it you could have done mm -hmm. it from your house if it's that what you're going to do no i'm just you know i'm just we're always trying to find the most efficient and effective way to yeah. do things. So if the ABA people are doing it and trialing and testing it, it's probably going to, you know, we, we're going to be telling other people that we can do it because we will find a way. We're good with solutions. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for listening. This is the end of part one of um, Consultants and Supervisors ABA programs.